Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Staking Mondays. Staking Mondays is a weekly show to share knowledge from key staking industry leaders with our community. And of course, this is all powered by stakingrewards.com. At Staking Rewards, we are helping investors navigate the landscape of yield-generating digital assets, helping them find the best opportunities to earn interest on their crypto. My name is Ken, and I am delighted to welcome today's guest. We have Ryan Selkis, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mazari, a leading crypto asset data and research company. Prior to founding Mazari, he was an entrepreneur in residence at Consensus and was on the founding team of Digital Currency Group, where he managed the firm's seed investing activity. Also, Ryan was at Coindesk, where he led the company's restructuring and annual consensus conferences. He's been an investor and prolific writer in the crypto industry since 2013, and he's also a great Twitter follow at 2BitIdiot. So how are we doing today, Ryan, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a good day. Happy Monday. And uh, I, have, uh, I have three kids under five and I got 10 hours of sleep last night. So uh, today's been pretty phenomenal so far. <laughs> so it's going to be a very productive week for you with that sleep. And uh, just first question to break you in here. So which cryptocurrency project first spiked your interest outside of BTC and Ethereum? And why was that? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that's uh, a lot of people's origin stories. Um, I'm trying to think what the what the first asset was um, that really got my attention outside of those outside of those big two. I mean, it was probably Zcash um, in uh, in some respects, just because uh, I, I'm a big proponent of privacy and and just the way that their system is is designed. The opt-in privacy model, I think, is pretty important. Um, as time's gone on, um, I think they've they've had a tough time getting standalone traction. So a lot of like the science experiments that are coming from, from Zcash um, are proven to be really valuable um, kind of across ecosystems. And, uh, and at some point, I think uh, there's so much value that's being created uh, with ZK snarks and, and, and a lot of the research that's, that's coming there. I wouldn't be surprised if um, some of the early Zcash holders uh, end up benefiting from, uh, from a number of airdrops from some of the other privacy uh protocols and, and, and projects that are happening under the chains because it's been a world of pain from a financial perspective as, as an investor. But um, I, I, I still, I'm a big fan of, of the team there of Zuko uh, in, in particular. And um, so I think um, uh, that's one, I was an early investor in Filecoin in, in 2017. I think it was the only, I, I, maybe zero X and Filecoin were the only two ICOs that I participated uh, in that summer. And um and then, you know, obviously last year, if, if you know, got more excited about, you know, DeFi and, and everything else, I'm usually, you know, uh, a month or two late to some of these things. So fast follower versus um, versus in at the at the very kind of uh, idea stage, kindling stage, if you will. Um, but uh, I would say it wasn't until really this year and, and even in the last you know three to six months where I've become um, a pretty hardcore believer in just this multi-chain, you know, thousands of assets, thousands of, of, of networks future. Um, for a long time, um, I, I would say I was, I was pretty certain that, um, that we'd have a few winning monies and then, it, and then we would, you know, we would find out whether there was actually real value in, in token schemes um, beyond that. But I, I think that model is now kind of proven itself out. And, um, and I would expect that, you know, any centralized network is eventually going to be a, um, a crypto network. That's probably the biggest change for me in the last three to six months. So even though I've been early in crypto, 
um, I was uh, maybe not as pie in the sky and, and, and as much of a dreamer as I could have been uh, in the early days of, of Ethereum and, and some of these other decentralized applications. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard to really conceptualize what the future brings. I mean, you talk about interoperability until you actually start seeing things happen, like these cross-chain bridges that allow collateral to move freely from one to another. Uh, and so, yeah, really cool insights there. And, and thanks for that little nugget you dropped on the potential maybe airdrops coming for these Zcash holders here uh, to help with the funding. That, that, that's, that's a, <laughs> by the way, that that is not coming from anyone that knows anything about uh, Zcash. I just think... At some point, um, there might be privacy applications that feel bad for Zcash holders. And that's what I'm backing <laughs> on at this point, since I've been a, a, a long-suffering Zcash holder. <laughs> totally makes sense. And it would definitely reward those uh, old patience holders. So uh, get, getting right into it here. So as an independent research platform, you are by nature pretty agnostic to certain ecosystems, right? And so, so what is your take on these tribal characteristics of some ecosystems? And what is your stance on uh, Bitcoin maximalists in general? I, I tend to think that um, Bitcoin maximalism is the exception, not the rule. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a lot of folks that are um, that are loud on Twitter, but I I, I think um, more often than not, you have people that get into crypto, and Bitcoin is simply the first, right? And 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 some people never get over that um, that zero to one for um, for anything not named Bitcoin. Um, I think once you go beyond Bitcoin as money and, and actually think about the potential for, for crypto networks to organize different marketplaces and, and economic models beyond just fiat issued currency and, and like Bitcoin or, or crypto money as a replacement, um, the the half-life continues to decrease, right? So um, if it took you years for, for Bitcoin as a model to kind of incept itself. And, and, and then, you know, you bought your first Bitcoin and, and, you know, I think one of the symptoms of maximalism is um, you see everything else going up faster than Bitcoin. It kind of like entrenches you further in, in this kind of philosophical belief. Um, I think um, if, uh, if it took you, you know, five years to, to go from like learning about Bitcoin to actually buying it, it might take you two and a half years to go from Bitcoin to Ethereum or, or Bitcoin to Solana or, you know, wh whatever else seems more ideologically consistent if you're really bogged down by that. And then um, once you've kind of opened the door that there are two assets, then it very quickly becomes obvious that oh, maybe there could be five or maybe there could be, you know, 10 or 100 or 1000 or, or actually we're just kind of living at the very earliest stages of um, a you know, tokenized future where where everything is financialized and whether it's nfts or, or, or different fungible assets that represent interest in these networks um that is going to be kind of the, the future that we live in and, and and so i think um i think maximalism uh it dies hard uh in some people but a lot of folks eventually convert once they get over the hurdle of um bitcoin being like the winner take all currency, right? I think I think a lot of times um, folks in the Bitcoin community end up talking past folks in the Ethereum community and kind of elsewhere within crypto. I don't know many um, uh, people in Ethereum and and you know, some of the other you know, smart contract communities or DeFi communities that don't think that Bitcoin's important. There there are exceptions, right? And and there are definitely you know some people that are more antagonistic 
And, and the folks that are, tend to be most antagonistic tend to be those that are making like relative value comparisons and like the ETH is money crowd and, and, and all that. And that's fine. But I think, um, I think most people kind of recognize that Ethereum as a computing platform and a settlement layer for the internet of value um, is pretty massive in its own right. And, um, and you know, Bitcoin is digital gold is pretty massive in its own right. Um, given what's going on in the in, in kind of macroeconomics. So I think everybody's better off if Bitcoin and Ethereum and many other assets thrive, and it, it, it's certainly not zero sum. Not zero sum, but would you say these tribal characteristics are actually a, a net positive, or do you think they're a negative for the ecosystem in total? I, it, I mean, uh, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? I, I, I think on the one hand, um, the... Any any kind of passionate community member, rabid community member that's kind of defending their community, um, it's important to have a quasi-religious base or, or, or at least a, a very solid net promoter base for many of these um, different ecosystems. And, um, and I think uh, that develops antibodies and it, it gives you a swarm of, of folks that are going to defend Bitcoin, not necessarily against other crypto communities, but more importantly, against hostile kind of external actors, right? So um, combating, you know, the, the fear or uncertainty doubt that's sowed by the media or by, you know, politicians or, or, or less sophisticated critics. Um, and that tends to uh, show in the form of friendly fire uh, and, you know, maximalists calling out, you know, uh, other communities as, as scammers or, um, or know nothings or, or, you know, uh, folks that are kind of have their head in the sand on technical risks. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And, and a lot of people are mean on the internet. So I, I don't think that you can kind of label an entire, you know, decentralized community of investors that, that really span institutional, individual, technical, non-technical everywhere in between. Um, uh, with, with one broad brush, I think that's just kind of one fringe, element of, uh, of, of Bitcoin society. And it's true for other communities as well, right? That, that, that will kind of bash, um, you know, either other smart contract platforms, other, um, other projects. So uh, I, I think that keeps everybody honest and, and is in some ways a net positive, uh, but you definitely need to invest in a helmet if you're going to be in crypto full time. Yeah. And, and, and talking about these regulators who, uh, it, it seems like these regulators are coming out and trying to definitely introduce uh, more constraints or regulation in general. Looking at the infrastructure bill here in the U.S., uh, that's a hot topic now. Uh, why do you think that the regulators are tending to favor proof of work over proof of stake here in the U.S. in terms of how tight and when they introduce regulations? Yeah, I, I don't actually think that they meant to do that at all. So I think what you're referring to is you know, during the infrastructure bill, there was language around uh, crypto broker tax reporting requirements. And, and the goal here was to um, collect $28 billion of revenue over five years or, or however many years the bills uh, anticipated for through uh, you know, better collections and surveillance of, of, of crypto to crypto transactions. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to capture DeFi transactions because again, no one knows how this was scored or how this number was, was kind of conjured out of thin air. But um, the, the widespread belief uh, from whoever scored crypto as a potential tax offset was that um, DeFi taxes were not being adequately paid. So um, during the amendment process, 
the um, the amendment to the amendment, I guess, there, there was a bipartisan amendment that was reached that was pro-crypto that, that had some more you know, sophisticated authors. Um, and then the amendments, the amendment from uh, that was supported by the White, uh, White House and Treasury had this language that supported or, or seemed to support proof of work at the expense of proof of stake networks. Um, and really, it was not that they were trying to favor one type or the other, but they were trying to um, ensure that they weren't carving out DeFi as an entire uh, class of, of technologies or, or networks from that broker language, since the concern over tax evasion was was within DeFi. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I, I, I certainly don't think that they, you know, especially this administration and, and you know, the, the, uh, the, the party in power now that's very eco-conscious, um, there's no way that they would support, uh, you know, actual ASIC mining and, and all of its energy consumption over proof of stake. This was very much a different um, issue that, that uh, was the byproduct of, of, frankly, a knowledge gap and, and a, a pretty steep learning curve that um, uh, a lot of the folks that are writing these provisions have yet to climb. Yeah, and it, it seems like at the end of the day, the goal is just to uh, capture any tax evasion activities that are happening and repeat, uh, you know, bring that dollar back to the government uh, where it's it should be appropriately taxed. Um, so do you think the staking industry itself is mature enough to start introducing regulations without risking the reduced participa uh, participation of small and mid uh, small and mid tier providers? Uh, for instance, is it possible these regulations would drive networks to become more centralized and less secure? I think it depends on what language is ultimately introduced, but I'll say from a, uh, a policy maturity uh, standpoint, we've got a long way to go before you see anything like that. Um, and, you know, the I think the opportunity to craft some of this language during the infrastructure bill, to a certain extent, that's passed. Um, and now we're going to have to fight some battles on doing damage. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I think that's just a reality and, and that's going to have to come out in, in rulemaking and, and kind of subsequent fixes, um, both legislative and in the courts and um, uh, and then you know, hopefully through future legislation. Um, but that, that's just going to take a, a long time. So uh, I, I think that will be hopefully part of a larger comprehensive you know, crypto package or, or, or you know, bill even. Um, it's too soon to, to tell what that's going to look like. But I know, you know pretty much everybody in the industry that's serious is, is working on it actively and hiring policy folks, thinking about lobbyists um, and, uh, and, and fixing some of these issues in the infrastructure bill. So I wonder, uh, you yourself here with Mazari, what do you think would be optimal regulatory framework that the crypto industry at large uh, would be able to adapt with regulators, let's say, based in the U.S.? Uh, well, I, I had one tweet yesterday, I think, that was tweet length policy uh, provisions, and, and it, it really uh, comes down to, to three things. Um, you need to regulate the centralized service providers that are actually handling customer funds, and you need to have them kind of overseen by one agency um, and, and probably an SRO, um, much like you have in, in kind of securities and, and, and commodities. Uh, I would argue that this is an entirely new kind of class and, and category that, that uh, regulators want to keep an eye on. But um, 
I don't know that that necessarily should live under kind of one of the existing regulators, um, especially as someone in crypto right now. That, that's obviously not ideal because uh, both CFTC and SEC are, are, are relatively hostile to where they were a year ago. Um, I think uh, the second component is we need uh, safe harbor provisions uh, in, a, in a like very badly. Uh, I, I think that's one of the missing components. Now, this has already been drafted when it comes to you know, the SEC stance on on crypto tokens and, and Commissioner Purse has put forward some language that um, unfortunately has not gone anywhere or, or been taken seriously by her, her colleagues for whatever reason. Uh, we don't know. Hopefully. Someone will ask questions uh, to, uh, to to Chair Gensler tomorrow. Actually, I think he's got hearings on the Hill. Um, but um, but that's I think a, a really important piece because if you look back to the the '90s and, and internet legislation, Section 230, um, which is now under fire because it's you know uh, it, it's caused some issues with fake news and and kind of propagation of misinformation on Facebook and YouTube and, and other sources. Um, but for a couple of decades, it was really good policy that you know helps uh, the helped accelerate the adoption of and, and kind of experimentation with the internet. So we're going to need something like Section Two Hundred and Thirty safe harbors for for crypto equivalents. Um, and then uh, last and most importantly, I think you need to pervert, preserve interoperability between the regulated entities uh, that we are agreeing or or you know uh, digital asset marketplaces. Um, and then the um, and then the kind of self custody, more experimental, peer to peer, crypto scene. Mm -hmm. The 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 potential breakage between like regulated on platform assets and then you know unregulated you know wild west assets with which they label it as, I think that's a real risk uh, in terms of being able to um, you know withdraw to a private wallet right or um, if you've you know acquired your your Bitcoin or your Ethereum through Coinbase, can you move it to a private wallet and start participating in DeFi? Um, can you, you know, can, can we get to a place where it's not illegal to have a MetaMask wallet or a Ledger wallet that is under your own control that you can then, you know, purchase NFTs and participate in DAOs and, and do all this without being subject to, you know, securities law that was literally written 90 years ago. Um, and, um, and I don't think that's a foregone conclusion that we're going to see that. Um, the, I think the real battle lines are, are going to be drawn there, right? So any industry-led conversations around, you know, what smart regulation look like, what's good self-regulation looks like, it really hinges on that third um, item as much as it does the first two. Because the first is obvious, right? Like, it does, like if you're Coinbase or Kraken or um, Anchorage or, you know, any of the big custodians or exchanges, you are going to be regulated dirty subject to regulation. The only thing that's at issue now is what's smart regulation. Um, I think the second bucket bucket is, is also somewhat obvious, right? Um, but then the you know the devil's in the details in terms of what constitutes you know uh, consumer protections and, and and what would it even a safe harbor look like from a disclosures standpoint uh, and investor protection standpoint. Um, but the third one is is really you know I, I'm uh, I'm unfortunately pretty pe pessimistic that that's going to be resolved via any legislative or, or you know, rulemaking process, I think that's going to get um, get fought out in the courts for uh, over the course of you know, a long time. So uh, that's, to me, really the, the end all and be all when it comes to this battle, because otherwise we're, we're basically just stuck in a permanent surveillance state and the crypto experiment uh, won't die, but a, a good chunk of it will be neutered for, for the foreseeable future.
So it sounds like we're still many years off from a feasible resolution that satisfies both sides here. Um, and in your mind, what could what could you tell users watching now or that are going to watch this video later? What can they do to support favorable regulation in the crypto space? Um, honestly, I mean, it's uh, it, it's we're almost in like a stay tuned period because um, yes, you can call your congressman, you can show up and and you know kind of voice support for crypto. You you, you know uh, there there are things that I think the crypto Twitter community in particular, the the broader crypto community can do. Um, and and what the infrastructure bill um, fight showed was how big, well-funded um, and, um, you know, well-organized some of that frustration can be if backed into a corner. The issue now is how do you actually, um, how do you work proactively on solutions? And how do you maintain a clear and consistent message uh, from the people that are, are ultimately going to be affected by this? And, you know, there's, I think, one missing piece of the policy conversation, and I, I've talked about this and, and, you know, I'm exploring options as to how we might be able to catalyze this. Uh, and that's kind of an individual member-led organization, right? So um, I hate using the NRA as an example, but, you know, even like the, the Bank Policy Institute, um, there's a, arguably a much more effective Second Amendment group, the the, the Second Amendment absolutists, um, you know, uh, APAC. You know, th there there are models that work even if you disagree with the politics of, of one of those organizations that I mentioned. Um, there are models that work, and I think um, you uh, you're ultimately going to need a, um, a a broad based individual member org that can uh, really highlight just the the sheer numbers um, that we're talking about um, as represented by you know uh, that you know, is, is designed to represent, you know, potentially millions of users, not just the corporate back groups like the blockchain association, um, uh, crypto council, you know, there, there's, there's a few other kind of emerging organizations that are doing great work, but they're, they're not really speaking on behalf of a, a really large community so much as they are, you know, the, their, their own corporate interests. Yeah, definitely an interesting perspective there. Uh, saying these individually led organizations need to kind of come together and arise like the NRA, for instance, um, maybe not exactly what they're doing, but similar structure in order to voice the opinion of the, the end user, really. Um, so how do you work together with regular regulators with Mazari? Uh, do you in general have conversations with them about favorable regulation? And, and would this be an in interest of all the enterprises that are often also your customers? Uh, we have not done much in that realm yet. Uh, we, we have spoken with a number of folks uh, on, you know, uh, kind of a, a across the board in the U.S., abroad and a and, uh, variety of agencies and staffs. Um, but it hasn't been a concerted um, effort on our part. I, I will say that's going to change for the reason that you mentioned, which is, you know, this affects many of our customers and, and we're, we're in a pretty good position to uh, to provide some interesting insights into crypto and, and how it's actually functioning um, than, um, than what I think policymakers are, are currently equipped with. So uh, even if our role is in consulting and, and helping uh, to tap the brakes a little bit on bad policy, I, I think that would be a net positive for all involved. But um, we're working on a lot of things right now. I, I was not uh, until the summer thinking about hiring a policy team. So uh, it's it's something that's an ongoing discussion, and and I think it's it's on top of uh, everybody's mind 
within crypto? How, how are we going to engage in the conversation? And you know, who do we have that's responsible to our organization to ensure you know we're part of this discussion? Definitely, and it's it's good to hear that um, you know you are thinking about that as well as the rest of the industry. And you know, being a a leader of many enterprise customers, um, I'm sure everyone's going to benefit from whatever action you do end up taking. Um, now, getting into Mazari Enterprise. So I was wondering if you could introduce to us some of the most exciting tools and services that are offered on the platform. So we have three primary business lines today, I, I guess four with mainnet, which we just hosted a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think that's going to be the, the largest uh, crypto conference of the year going forward. Um, it certainly was uh, this year. If you exclude Bitcoin Miami, which is very much like a Bitcoin, you know, very popular you know, cultural event. And, and it was great, right? Like uh, I, I went down there. The only two conferences I've been to this year um, were Bitcoin Miami and then ours. But um, uh, beyond that, we have uh, kind of the engine of our business, which is the market intelligence platform. And, and that's really bucketed by by two tiers of access, pro and enterprise. We do have some free community elements as well, but pro is a $30 a month subscription product that you know makes it easier for individual professionals to access our research and some of our basic analytics tools, um, our, our charting library, screener, et cetera. Um, enterprise is um, very much focused on uh, crypto organizations that have long-term needs when it comes to asset support and then um, ongoing monitoring of, uh, of, of the networks that they're uh, working with. So uh, we cover a couple hundred assets for the equivalent of uh, crypto corporate actions monitoring, network updates, software release notes, governance votes, um, anything that would potentially impact a product or compliance team or, or, or you know, software development team that's in the trenches in terms of supporting the assets that are on their platform. Um, and uh, and, and you know, in addition to that, I think you, if you're thinking about traditional finance, whether it's you know large asset managers that are regulated, um, big banks, you know big consulting firms, they're going to have more sophisticated information needs, and are ultimately going to need third-party checks on their own work um, for quality control purposes and, and their own compliance purposes. So you know we're we're also able to do deep diligence on some of these products and and um, and assets that they can kind of use as inputs to their own decision-making when, when it comes to either investing in a network, uh, supporting an asset uh, technically, or, or, or certainly offering it to their customers. Um, that's a, already a big business for us. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's gone vertical uh, this year. We, we released the beta in February and, and, and obviously that the number of customers has just exploded as, as you know, along with the market. Um, that might not be the part of the business that I'm most excited about though, which is our, our, um, our hub. You can think about the Masari hub as a marketplace for DAO services, um, starting with research coverage, where we're already very strong, but ultimately expanding beyond that. And um, and today we've worked with over 100 projects on uh, ongoing research and, and coverage of their assets and their networks. Um, we can do some of that in-house, but we've slowly started to um, identify independent analysts that can fulfill some of these research deliverables where we're just acting as the quality control layer and the marketplace facilitator. So um, I, I think at scale, you know, we should have thousands of, of analysts um, bidding on different information um, products and, and opportunities within this marketplace. And um, first we decentralize the contributor base and the network, 
and then ultimately we can de decentralize some of the services as well. So uh, a, a lot to watch on that particular side of the business, but it's um, uh, it's been fun so far. And I've definitely been following some of your tweets recently. There's still a need for research analysts to contribute to your team, right? And developers. So uh, from anyone watching here in the audience, uh, maybe give a, an email or a shout out in Telegram or Discord and see what kind of opportunities exist there. Uh, in the platform itself, Mazari.io, highly encourage everyone to go over there and check it out. A lot of great tools, new features coming out almost monthly here um, to really help analyze and, and digest market data. Um, so in regards to the new products in your roadmap, what are you most excited about uh, upcoming for release? Uh, well, I'll let you know when they're released. But uh, <laughs> as you can tell from those kind of three core products, we've um, we've introduced a lot so far this quarter. So um, we're going to be adding additional data sets that are going to be accessible for our pro uh, subscribers, uh, not to mention a couple of, of uh, I think, killer new features that, that people will be pretty excited about. Um, we're going to be adding asset coverage for our Intel and, and uh, Max product. Uh, I'm sorry, asset coverage services um, is something that enterprises have, have been using to better understand both the history and kind of current state of health of, of the networks that they're considering adding. Um, and uh, and we're you know kind of slowly but surely adding additional capabilities around governance tracking, which is you know kind of a subset of of that uh, Intel product that we have so far. So uh, you know I, I'd say just on that kind of market intelligence core that we've built, um, it's a pretty powerful platform. And um, you know and, and that's not even you know to mention the the daily research has come out, the new news aggregator that we've uh, that we've released into beta. So um, I'd say a lot of Q4. Uh, and, and 2022 is going to be an enhancement and kind of continue to add functionality to that core. Um, and uh, and then you know, we'll, we might have one or two additional things uh, that, that are on the roadmap that we'll, we'll be able to drop soon. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. And I always like to compare things to the traditional finance side of things. And that's where I come from. That's my background. Uh, we always used to use Bloomberg terminals for looking up corporate actions. And for example, mm -hmm. uh, just verifying if it's a cash dividend or what's the X date. Would you compare Mazari, uh, the data platform, like an evolution of what Bloomberg Terminal is for equities, for instance? Yeah, I, I think, um, look, Bloomberg is almost a $100 billion company. So that's going to be the aspirational comp for any crypto information business, right? Um, and yeah, that's that's the one that we'll use for shorthand. And, and yeah, I think it fits. But I think what's important to, uh, to keep in mind here, Every single major asset class has a $10 billion plus analytics platform. Um, that's true in real estate with CoStar, it's true in, in insurance with Verisk, it's true in, you know, in healthcare and, you know, at, at, at any major asset class you think of. In financial data, there's like five of them between FactSet, Broadridge, S&P, Thomson Reuters, and obviously Bloomberg. So I don't think that um, information services are, are winner take all within crypto. I think you're going to see a number of kind of specialized services emerge and, and you know, maybe even competitors that are, are kind of equally large at scale. Um, some of them will be centralized, some of them will be decentralized. So I, I think um, the information needs of the crypto economy and, and the decentralized economy are, are maybe an order of magnitude larger in some cases than you'd see in um in traditional finance, because if you take the view that everything is becoming tokenized and financialized, well, then, you know, by definition, you just have more data to structure and, and, and more 
um, sectors to, to analyze uh, and, and more novelty and kind of everything that's associated with them. So um, I think, um, you know, Bloomberg is a hundred you know, billion dollar business uh, and, and they're the they're the kind of largest information business. But if you think about Internet scale, um, I don't think there's any reason that you wouldn't see a, a trillion dollar you know, information economy emerge. Not you'll see like one company uh, become a, a trillion dollar business necessarily. But I think that's, you know, give you a, a sense for kind of where the, the scale of the opportunity is in information. Um, and, you know, I'd say the other thing is a lot of those uh, financial data companies that I mentioned, they are not going to be able to do this in-house. Like they're not going to be able to go from zero to one. I will, you know, that that is something that I will bet any amount of money on. What they're going to have to do is ultimately acquire the capabilities to do this in-house if they want it done right. So, um, so I think that's, um, and I think that's true for for kind of traditional finance across the board uh, and, and across a variety of uh, of different capabilities. So it's something that, you know that we're keeping an eye on. But I'd, I'd say um, it's going to be an exciting, exciting you know five to ten years uh, plus for for crypto in general, for information businesses, and and you know we're we're certainly happy with our position right now. Yeah, and I mean. What I got from that is there's a lot of room to run here, a lot of room to grow, and I'm extremely bullish on data, uh, both the data that you're producing at Mazari and what we're producing here at Staking Rewards. So I think uh, a lot of good things to come down the line here. And question in regards to the kind of data that you gather on subscriber preferences, for instance, is there a way to utilize this data as another statistical endpoint that could further help funds make decisions on investment or asset support, for instance? And how could this be accessible? Well, I'll, I'll say for starters, um, we're pretty careful about user privacy. Um, and I think to the extent that we do anything in this realm, um, it will probably be part of a, a larger community conversation. And you probably know the, the words that I'm trying to dance around right now. But I, I think if you are going to monetize user data like that, um, then you know, there are some design decisions that you have to make. And, and I know just philosophically, um, I would uh, I'd be A, very careful about that. And, and B, I think the default is not to do anything with that until there's explicit you know, buy-in and, and kind of permissioning associated with it. Um, it's a good way to torture brand if you're trying to resell data uh, in, in, in Web3 services. Yeah, and, and thanks for being honest on that question. I know it can be a, a slightly touch, touchy subject there, but um, yeah, good insights there. And so so based on your data, have you seen a trend of increasing enterprise interest towards proof-of-stake assets? And what would you attribute this to? And it doesn't have to be just enterprise interest, just general interest. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's our data necessarily. I think it's just more generally. I mean, that's, that's where the non-Bitcoin economy is moving. Right. Like every everything is getting staked, um, all the major layer one assets, obviously all the you know, kind of marketplace assets, whether you're talking about DeFi or um, or you know, Web3 or uh, like distributed you know, file storage or or you know, video streaming or, or whatever. I mean, I think staking is you know, proof of stake and um, uh, locking you know, tokens in, in these decentralized networks is kind of the default mode for everything outside of Bitcoin. Obviously, Ethereum is still proof of work, but you know is under uh, is is currently in the process of migrating. So, um, I I think 
as Bitcoin dominance goes down and as people kind of wake up to the opportunity of these networks more broadly, you're, you're going to continue to see more of that. Absolutely. It's the natural progression. So you guys and, are in good position. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and we definitely see our user base growing on a monthly basis. Uh, just to give some insights, beginning of the year, we were uh, less than a million views per month. Now we're you know pushing 5 million views per month on what we do here at Staking Rewards. So um, just general question here, and it's not investment advice that we're trying to squeeze out of you here, but uh, in your experience, could you give us in the audience here the most attractive yield opportunity that comes to your mind currently? Uh, the most attractive yield opportunity. Um, that's a good question. I haven't, I haven't really been doing that. I, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm leaving money on the table, but um, I always have to weigh uh, leaving money on the table with yields uh, and and just the general time and energy it takes to actually do all of this uh, versus building a business, right? So my portfolio is uh, not as exotic as it should be if I were just doing this as like a full-time investor, even, even kind of full-time personal investor. Um, so I don't know that I'm the best person to, uh, to ask that question. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I generally think, um, staking, uh, is smart in a bull market. I think in a bear market, we're really going to see how sustainable some of these models are. Um, this is my only word of caution. So that's, that's maybe not investment advice so much as don't be caught swimming naked. I like that. We'll have to quote that and put that up later. Uh, okay. So uh, obviously you're big on information, right? You have, you have a lot of uh, tools and features around keeping everyone up to date on upcoming uh, mainnet upgrades, governance decisions, and so on. What are the three biggest events that you can give us here uh, to keep our eyes on, on our radars over the next three to six months? Um, so I, I think a, a couple of the big ones um, just kind of continuing uh, evolution of, of Ethereum and ETH2 and, and um, the migration to ETH2 is, you know, obviously, a, 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 I'd say the most important. Um, the uh, Columbus 5 uh, migration with uh, with Terra uh, could be pretty meaningful. And there's a lot of applications that have been building within the Terra ecosystem. I think in the West, um, it, it gets uh, a little bit kind of muddled um, and, and might not be as top of mind uh, as, uh, as it is in Asia in particular as a project, but um, as, you know, disclosure, you know, I own ETH, I own Luna, so on. So um, uh, that's just kind of where I'm personally positioned and, and excited. And then I think um, the, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see um, how NFT infrastructure decentralizes and, and how those marketplaces um, decentralize over time. So um, there's just the, the 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 pace of interest and enthusiasm around NFTs is unlike maybe anything that I've seen in crypto to date, including ICOs. And and, and the reason I say that is um, NFTs have crossed the chasm already, right? So you have mainstream artists, mainstream, you know, sports teams, um, really large kind of legacy players um, and their user bases that are into NFTs. Now you can argue about the staying power of, of you know, any individual asset and any individual art piece or collectible, but um, that, uh, that hockey stick is unlike anything that I've ever seen in crypto. 
and um, and it doesn't really seem to be subsiding, and, and it might not subside anytime soon. Um, I think we you know we're somewhere on the slope of like the inflated expectations and euphoria and and, and whatever. So it, I'm, I'm sure NFTs will go through their hype cycle just like anything else. But the one thing that we haven't really seen is um, is much in the way of like NFT like market like tokenized marketplaces that you can buy interest in. Um, and so uh, we're, we're keeping a close eye on that. And, and, you know, what are the centralized players do, you know, are we going to have like a Uniswap sushi swap situation where there's a sushi like player that comes to market and kind of forces the hand of some of the bigger centralized marketplaces. Um, I, uh, I, I personally would, you know, be surprised if we didn't see something along those lines. Definitely an exciting topic there. I already saw a few comments in the chat here regarding NFTs and yeah, I mean, to see if some kind of decentralized marketplace takes over from the centralized ones, maybe incentivizing um, users to come over with their own token would be super exciting to see and uh, can't wait to you know see how that unfolds. Um, so, all right, final question here, we'll wrap up. So give us your bold prediction on where you see crypto assets in four years from now. Examples could be around regulation, utility, or classifications. I think a, a lot really depends on on how well we do uh, with the policy discussions and, and kind of battles over the course of the next 18 months. Um, I think um, I think Bitcoin, Ethereum and NFTs will be um, extremely relevant in four years, regardless of what happens. Um, and uh, well, some layer one platforms will be extremely relevant. I think, you know, Ethereum has a, a massive kind of network effect kind of starting advantage, but that doesn't mean that they're, uh, those are insurmountable advantages that they have. If you just kind of look at what's going on with, with, you know, Polkadot and Terra and uh, Solana and, and, and the like. Um, I think DeFi, it's, it, it really could go either way. We could see a pretty long winter um, for DeFi and, 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 and a lot of that could be regulated away, um, effectively regulated away in, in the US. And, and I tend to think that as the, as the US goes, so goes a, a good chunk of the Western world. We've already seen, you know, China, it's, it's non-existent, right? That's, that's, development is not going to take place on mainland China of, of some of these decentralized networks. So um, I think that's where, uh, that's why most of my effort is um, my personal effort that's not like associated with just building our team is 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 on the policy side right now because I think it's um, I think it's underappreciated as a risk and um, and those risks are ones where it you know it, it it tends to be like a slow motion train wreck um, when things go bad uh, and and you know unfortunately right now uh, it, it doesn't really seem like there are many friends of crypto in positions of authority within the White House and the administration, if the infrastructure bill gets passed as is written, which is expected, then um, that basically puts us at the mercy of, of regulators that are going to be entrenched for the next four years um, or next three years and, and a few months. So that that's a long time to have to um, kind of fight these battles out and in, in you know, rulemaking in the courts. And I'm not sure that DeFi is, is going to do terrifically well um, unless we actually uh, make some some pretty big political headway in the next 18 months before the midterm. Well, I'm glad to say that uh, you are a friend of crypto and you're on the right side of history here, fighting the good fight for all of us that are in the same boat. 
So um, you know, we, we can appreciate the efforts there. And uh, bringing it back on a lighter note here, favorite NFT collection. Um, so I I have to confess that I don't own any right now because I don't want to own an also ran NFT, and I have not had time to kind of really go deep on um, on which collection I, I want to be a part of. I think uh, obviously Punks has uh, has the allure of being first, and and it's you know it's almost like an OG status symbol. But um, the thing is, I'm not going to pay for an OG status symbol, uh, and 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 you know I, I look at at the price tags in some of these, and and it, it feels like something that I could just as easily buy in you know a, a couple of years on the downslope of that um, hype cycle. We'll see. You know maybe I uh, maybe I'm. Uh, miscalculating and, and, and that's going to be really foolish and I'm never going to be able to buy one. But um, I think, um, I don't know. I like the board apes uh, uh, in, in just in terms of like my, my style. If you're just looking at the JPEGs themselves, I'd probably say board apes, but I don't want to start a fucking culture war at the end of this <laughs> because I liked one NFT over the other, just visually. The floor for board apes just went through the roof, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. Well, stranger things would have happened uh, yeah. this year for sure. So, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Staking Mondays today. Can you just tell the audience where they can go to follow you or find more about the stuff you're working on? Yep. Um, I'm uh, at 2 bit idiot on Twitter, and uh, we're at Masari Crypto on Twitter. Of course, uh, you can go to masari.io. We got a lot of free resources and uh, and daily research that comes out if you want to sign up for our newsletter. So, um, excited to keep the conversation going there, and excited to keep working with you and your team. Absolutely, and so are we. Thanks so much again for joining us, Ryan. For everyone watching, hit that like and subscribe button. Share this video around to your friends, and if you like audio, we're on Spotify as well. So thank you for watching, everyone. As always, happy staking. Take care until next time.